Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. morning Trinity Church family it's good to be with you Uh, back in two kings uh, this week in chapter five as we continue to look at the early stages of Elisha's ministry uh, in uh, Israel so this is sermon three of four uh, as we look at that so this is two kings uh, chapter five part three of four I'm going to read two kings five for us all the way through and then I'll pray as we begin Naaman commander of the army of the king of Assyria was a great man with his master and in high favor because the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, now go and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches, you know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you might cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of uh, his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near to him and said, "Uh, My father, it is a great word this prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean then he returned to the man of God he and all his company and he came and stood before him and said behold I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel so accept now a present from your servant but Elisha said as the Lord lives before whom I stand I will receive none and he urged him to take it but he refused Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes to the house of Rimen to worship there, 
leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimen. When I bow myself in the house of Rimen, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he has brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he, he said, all is well. Um, <clears throat> my master has sent to me uh, to say, there have just come now to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Uh, please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged, uh, urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when Gehazi came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house uh, before he sent the men away and he departed. He went in and stood before his master, Elijah. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. But Elisha said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments and olive orchards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out. Gehazi went out from Elisha's presence, a leper like snow. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would speak to us that you would reveal Jesus to us and the glory of the gospel hope that we have in him, that we would come to love and worship you more and be more like our saviour. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It doesn't take much, does it, to have something beautiful, something precious, life-giving, and for it to become ugly or, or even useless, does it? Football, the beautiful game. And don't be fooled by me being on this side of the Atlantic. No, football, played with your feet, proper football, is the beautiful game. Poetry in motion. You can have Barcelona, the best one-touch, tiki-taka football. Watch the sublime Penenka penalty being taken. And five minutes later, someone crashes into someone else. A deliberate two feet up, studs up challenge from behind. The man crumples to the ground and you see his shin sticking up through the bone of his leg. Cooking dinner in nice new clothes. You you can't find the apron, but the last few times you've managed to keep your clothes clean. So you just start to to fry that bacon anyway in oil. And as it heats up, predictably, because you're in new clothes, the oil begins to all jump onto your dress or your new shirt. That sinking feeling. And 15 washes later at 3,000 degrees with all the Febreze or whatever it is you put on it, the stain is still there. Red wine, brand new white carpet. You know what I'm speaking about. I don't need to say any more. You've been there, something glorious, beautiful, and someone comes along and ruins it, makes it into something else. Something not fit for purpose. This story, 2 Kings 5, is all about something beautiful. More beautiful than the beautiful game, or a new dress, or a new shirt, or whatever. It's about the beauty of the gospel. New life in Christ, all centered around Naaman. 
But there's a sting in the tail. Someone comes along and looks to twist the gospel, distort it. And that all centers around Gehazi. The whole narrative simply follows these two men and their responses to the gospel. It's as simple as that. And and the narrative looks like this. With Naaman, it's the outsider, the Syrian, the leper. He comes in. And Gehazi, the man who's been with Elisha, seen the miracles, looks like the insider. We actually find out that he's an outsider. He goes out. So it's these two men, the responses to the gospel as the outsider comes in and as the supposed insider goes out. And so this morning, all I want to do very simply is answer these two questions. How does the outsider come in? And how does it end up that the insider goes out? Firstly, then, how does the outsider come in? Here it is in a sentence, if you like. What's Naaman doing? He, he humbly receives the gift of Jesus' free grace. That's what it is. It's true as true for him then as it is for now. The outsider comes in by humbly receiving the gift of Jesus' free grace. That's where life is. And throw three little sub-points to that in, in Naaman's journey as we just track him through here. Firstly, and it's God doing all this, working through all this, Naaman has to know his need. That's the first thing. In order to humbly receive the gift of Jesus' free grace, Naaman has to know his need. And that's the first thing I want us to look at. And he knows his need because Naaman really should be somebody. Just track through the story with me. The writer does the work for us, but look again at verse 1. He's the commander of the army of Assyria. He's a great man, the text tells us. He's in high favor with his Lord. And Yahweh, God, the Lord, has given Syria victory over Israel, his own people, by using Naaman. His king loves him. Yahweh is with him in a sense. Even though he's an outsider, God is using him to give victories over Israel. He's rich, famous, a successful warrior. By by every worldly standards, Naaman here has it all. He's Maximus at the start of Gladiator. The, The general. His troops cheer his name and even his king, his emperor, honors him. Nothing more to achieve. He's Roger Federer of his world. Do you ever think, some days I think Roger Federer must get out of bed and just think, what else have I got to achieve in tennis? And the answer is not very much, right? Arguably nothing. This general is like that. Naaman has the world at his feet. He's the front of every magazine, on top of every billboard. Everyone wants to sponsor him. Ah, But the end of verse one, he's got leprosy. He's achieved everything that a man can achieve, but he's excluded from life. To say he's got leprosy is like putting a sign in your window in these days days saying COVID-19 in here. In this car, in this house, whatever. You don't need to add the word stay away. It's implied. I'm not going near there. He is as far as you can get from the kingdom. Yes, the Lord has used him, but he's still an outsider. He is an outcast. He is an unwanted. Now, I'm always wary of doing this kind of thing because we need to be careful. But I think it's helpful to try and get the emotional response of how Israelites in this day or Israelites 200, 250 years later in exile, reading Kings for the first time, respond to this. How would they respond? I'm conscious, I'm aware of kind of doing this, but the emotional response they have to a man like Naaman with leprosy, a Gentile with leprosy, 
who, who God has used to give victories over God's own people, the emotional response is that of us thinking of pedophile. Or, or in these days, we might add racist. So much on the outside, shunned. So as a Gentile leper, even with the success of a Beckham or a Nadal or a Federer or, or whatever, he's the person that we are crossing the street to avoid. Naaman needs to know his need and he does know his need. The second thing he needs to do then is humbly receive. Receive humbly. Know your need and receive humbly. That was in our sentence, wasn't it? By humbly receiving. And so Naaman here then is humbled by God in, in many different ways. The first time he's humbled is that he listens to this Israelite slave girl who uh, in verse two and three says to the mistress, my master, Naaman, he needs to go and visit the prophet in Israel. Now, she is a hero in this passage, is she not? I wish I could say more about her. One day I would love to come and just preach a sermon on, on what she's doing here. It's It's amazing. She is an Israelite slave girl, a young girl, taken from her land into slavery, working in this house. She sees her master in need and says, there's somewhere you can go to help for help. It's amazing. And, and so he needs to listen to her. Their, their status and stature could not be any more different, but he needs to listen to her. And, and he does. But he needs to get humbled again, because when he goes to his king about it, the girl says, go to Elisha, the prophet. But the king of Syria and and Naaman, they go off to the king of Israel. Do you see it? They think that's where the power lies. They only kind of half listen to her. She says, go to Israel to the prophet. They go to Israel, but to the king. So he needs to be humbled and learn a lesson about where the power lies in these days in Israel. And you see the king uh, of Israel, doesn't he? In verse 7, he throws a fit. He's like, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. How can I cure this man? He's seeking a war. And so in verse 8, Elisha, you can just hear his despair with the king. He's like, come on, send him to me. So listen to the girl. Needs to realize that it's Elisha he's got to go to, a lesson he's got to learn twice. Then he's, he's humbled and needing to listen, listen to Elisha. Elisha says, go and dip seven times in the Jordan, verse 10. Sends a messenger to Naaman. Seven times in the Jordan. And Naaman throws a fit, doesn't he? He goes in a strop, like a, no offense teenagers, but it's a stroppy teenager off to his room, sulking. We've got way better rivers back in Syria. Why am I not going there? No, he needs to be humbled in listening to the prophet of God, the, the word of God given to him. Naaman is irate. Wash in water, this, this water? Thought he'd just wave his hand and everything would be all right. Finally, then, Naaman, having needing to be humbled all the way through here, finally is humbled by his servants who come along in verse 13, probably with quite a bit of fear and trepidation and say, I think you should listen to him. He's really saying it's as easy as wash and be clean as simple. And so in verse 14, Naaman goes to the Jordan, having been humbled to that point, he humbles himself one step further under the waters seven times and is clean know your need receive humbly and do you see what happens at the end he does and listens to the word of god and the flesh is restored like the the flesh of a little child and he's clean do you see those final words the flesh of a little child why does it say that because 
it's, it, it, he's, he's trusting like a child. Not childish, but trusting like a child. Receiving. All these weeks and months with the virus, we've told our kids, look, there's a virus there. You can't see it, but you need to trust us. Wash your hands. We've got to keep away. And on the whole, that's what they're doing, right? It's difficult at points, but that's what they're doing. And Naaman here, like a child, trusts and receives. Naaman here is wash and be clean. And his flesh, like a little child, shows his heart. He's born again. So on the outside as the inside. One wonderfully born again and you hear his confession in verse 15 behold i know there is no god in all the earth but in israel friends a dead man now lives an outsider has now become an insider someone who is excluded from the kingdom is now part of the kingdom part of god's family clean outside but most importantly clean inside the way in is the way down, is it not? Through the door of Christ. I must be very small and receive Christ like a child. And so here at verse 15, we have Naaman standing on the, the, the verge, the banks of the Jordan, clean, alive, belong to God. We could say born again. And he stands, doesn't he, in a whole line, a, a generation of people, a, a lineage of people. It's amazing. Who would be washed in the Jordan and made clean? He could have written this hymn, couldn't he? You can imagine Naaman going home on his chariot, singing this hymn. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of hell, death of death and hell's destruction. Land me safe on Canaan's side. Naaman has landed on Canaan's safe side now. He's in the promised land, if you like. He belongs to God and his family. He joins a fine company of people who would come to be baptized in the Jordan. Most notably, Jesus who 850 years later, maybe a little bit longer, 870 years later, would be baptized by John. No sin of his own needing washed off, no leprosy, but entered the waters of baptism to to fulfill all righteousness, as Matthew tells us. Put very simply, doing it for us. Naaman goes into the waters because he wants to be made clean. Christ will enter the same river in order that he might make others clean. However much we need to condescend, and humility is the way in, and it's the constant posture of the Christian. It's nothing compared to the condescension and humiliation of Christ. The way of the kingdom is the way of the lowly and the meek and the way down because that is Christ's way. And so, friends, I encourage you today to reflect, to check your hearts. Am I coming to Christ and looking out to the world with love and humility? Because we're about to see that there's a warning if it's pride that's in our hearts. The way of the kingdom is the way down, the way of the lowly. But there's one more thing that Naaman needs to understand. Verse 15, and it's that that God's grace, this offer of new life is held out and offered freely. Know your need. Receive humbly and receive freely. Naaman needs to learn it's free. And we see that because he wants to pay. That's the rest of verse 15. Accept now a present from your servant. He wants to give Elisha something. And Elisha says, no way. And friends, here I think is the scandal of Christianity. I I heard someone say this recently and I think it's really spot on. And I think this is what we see with Elisha and Naaman's last little... um, interaction here it's the reminder that christ has paid it all 
He's done everything for us. And it's the one thing that the world doesn't understand. You see, often we think we live in a very pluralistic kind of society. But actually, I think recently we're seeing that that's maybe not quite right in some ways. The world has a strong sense of right and wrong. Look at some of the racial issues and tension. It gets there's a thing called wrong and right, sinful and, and not sinful and good. Okay, not towards God, but towards man. It's using those categories. And it's showing in, in its own way that there's a thing called repentance, needing to atone for things. It, it gets that language in those, um, although it shows itself in different ways perhaps, it, it gets that those things are there. But what the world does not understand, it has no idea of, no concept of, no mirror of, and we see it here in Naaman, is that salvation by grace through faith is a gift from God. Of coming up from the waters and saying, no, you don't pay. Look to the cross, to Christ. He has paid it all for you. It is the wonderful promise of baptismal waters, isn't it? Here is what Christ has done for you, held out for you. That while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And you know nothing of it yet. But may you come out to receive humbly and believe. Friends, today, be reminded and rejoice in all that Christ has done for you. We have to be careful to write ourselves into Bible narratives, but I think we can say we are naming here. Outsiders brought in. Gentiles included. Lepers washed clean. The leprosy of our hearts and the sin and the exclusion washed away by Jesus. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember the simplicity It's Jesus executed on a Roman cross, now raised from the dead, who offers forgiveness of sin, resurrection from death, life everlasting. He has paid it all, all to him I owe, all sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Friends, in days of darkness and days of death, be reminded and encouraged that God is always looking to work and bring salvation, always. So rejoice in yours that Christ freely held out life and said, come and be clean. And didn't charge, just said, it's yours. Repent and believe. Rejoice in yours. And pray, pray in these days of pestilence and death and darkness that the Lord would use difficulties and death and exclusion and hardship to bring people to Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, then let Naaman show you how it's done. Not that you need to go to the Jordan to wash in the river there. No, but it's humbly, freely receive new life from Jesus and live. But that's not the end of the story. With Naaman, the story is only half told. We move into territory now that's similar to that of the parable of the prodigal son. The father on the edge of the field looks out. The prodigal returns. The the joy, the snotty tears of embrace. Ready the fattened calf. Life with the father. Oh, but there's an older son out in the field. And here, sadly, in this story, there's an older son. The the footballer who who ruins the game with the deliberate leg-breaking tackle. There's an older son. So firstly, how does the outsider come in? By humbly receiving the gift of Jesus' free grace. The offer of the gospel, that's where life is. Know your need, receive humbly and receive freely. That's how the outsider comes in. In Christ, God working all the way through offering life. 
But how does Gehazi, this insider, end up on the outside? Well, predominantly here we see it that he does it by walking proudly. In verse 21, after Naaman's on his way home, back to uh, Syria, singing uh, wonderful hymns about death of death and hell's destruction, landing him safe on Canaan's side, Gehazi follows Naaman and asks for money. And Naaman, not knowing any better, he, he gives him the money. And then in verse 25, Gehazi comes to Elisha. Elisha says, where have you been? And he says, I've been nowhere. He, he lies about it. He asks for money. He lies. He's proud. He's never seen his need of humility. Oh, that Shum, Shumanite woman from chapter 4. Yeah, she needs to be humble. But not me. Oh, that widow who had nothing. Yes, she needs to be humble. But not me. Oh, that drug addict coming to Jesus, that prostitute, that single mum with four kids from four different dads, their sins are obvious. They need to be humble, but not me. I've got life together, thank you, my family together, my job. I only miss church for vacations. I've never really done anything wrong. That's Gehazi's posture. He's heard the sermons before. He knows the drill. He logs onto YouTube to the right church, you know, on lockdown Sunday, whatever it is. But he's never given his life to Jesus, to Yahweh. Jesus, friends want, friends, Jesus wants your heart, not your self-justifying gospel. At the end of the day, that's what Gehazi has believed, a Jesus plus gospel, which is no gospel at all. That's why he's wanting to charge money. We'll wash you clean if the price is right. So friends, check your hearts today. Is hidden anywhere in your heart a a Jesus plus? A Jesus plus I've served the church for many years and I can show that plaque to God when I get there. A Jesus plus I'm nice and friendly and I don't swear and I do the right things, whatever. Those might be good things that flow out of the gospel, but it's not the price of our salvation. I'm nice, I'm kind, I'm a Christian in my own way. I've never talked badly. Again, those might be good implications. Some of those might be good implications, some aren't. Christian living is important, but it's not the price of our salvation. He he walks proudly. He adds and bolts onto the gospel here. He never gives Jesus his heart. He, he walks proudly and is trying to justify himself. He's never gone down very low and seen his need and his sin and his need to be washed clean. And the result then for him is that he then becomes outside the kingdom. The result is death. Verse 27, he dies. Leprosy is the mark of death, the mark of the outsider. He becomes, right at the end of chapter 5, the walking dead. Out of um, Elisha's presence, a leper like snow. He follows the stranger, Naaman, and then actually sees that he becomes a stranger. Gehazi, an Israelite, he sins against a Gentile and is then put in his place. And the message to Israel is clear. Israel in this day and Israel in exile when they receive the book of Kings 250 years or so later. The message is clear. If Israel lusts after Gentile wealth and power, you will find yourself going the way of of Gentile exclusion and of Gentile uncleanness and of even death. When the church seeks Gentile wealth and power, we would say worldly wealth and power, it will inherit all the world's diseases. And it's not different in Jesus' day. 
he uses this very passage to illustrate to the religious leaders in his day that they're the same as the king of, uh, of Israel in these days. And do you remember? Jesus almost gets killed for saying it in Luke chapter 4. He says, the land in Naaman's time, in Elijah's day, Israel is filled with lepers. But only Naaman is washed clean. The scandal is not that an outsider is included. It's that God passes over those who are supposedly on the inside. Because they've not given their hearts to Jesus. It's a sober warning. Reject Yahweh. Reject life. Reject God's free grace. One for you. All accomplished for you. And he will pass by. Have all the riches of Bible studies and of Zoom sermons and from around the world, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, excellent teaching, prayer meetings, more books on your shelf you can shake a cat at. But keep on ignoring God and never coming lowly and humble, dependent to him. Then don't expect him to hang around forever. In fact, eventually find that you will go the way of the Gentile, of the outsider. Friends, Jesus wants your heart, your life, all of it. He longs for your love, all of it. Which is why the free grace he offers to us of redemption accomplished and redemption applied was so costly to him. Because this passage does cast a shadow to another exchange. But the blessed exchange of the cross, does it not? Where Jesus, perfect and pure, took on the leprosy of the world. Had the wrath of God fall upon his head to become, if you like, a leper like snow for you and me. So as we picture both of these men heading off into the distance, just think about them. Gehazi thought he was in, but he is an outsider now, excluded, a leper. His sin there for all to see. But picture Naaman going back to Syria clean. Back to his wife, back to the house of that faithful Israelite little girl who told him the gospel. And he went and found Jesus and was made clean and made new. Her master transformed. Picture those men going. Remember, there are only two ways to live. A way of life and a way of death. And may we remember that there is life to be found in Jesus, in Jesus alone, because he became sin, that we might be clean. Amen.